Hello and welcome to this podcast, Yes, I Have a Voice. My name is Ruth Lewis-Cost and I'm a caregiver and I am blessed to be looking after my elderly parents. I started this podcast to remind ourselves that looking after those in need is a privilege. As unpaid caregivers, we need to have a voice. We need to be able to shout loud and be proud of our status. And caregiving has no age. People of all ages are caregivers. This is my way of supporting you all emotionally and practically with tools from other caregivers on how to find the joy in your situation and make amazing memories. So let's dive into this week's episode. So today I'm with Alex Steele and Alex is a choreographer, but she's got such an interesting story to tell about being a caregiver to her mum. So Alex, I know that your mum was blind and you therefore at a very young age, you had to start looking after her. So tell us about that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So thank you so much, Ruth, for having me on. So yeah, um, my mum was blind from sort of early on in her life so obviously my whole life and um, that's all I ever knew of you know how she was and how we lived and stuff it was just me and her at home so um, all the extra things I did I actually it's kind of funny to say but I, I didn't even really realize that they were extra things and I think a lot of child carers probably feel like that as well it's just how things were you know I I read the mail and paid the bills and just little things like help them with the cooking and stuff like that so yeah but it was just kind of like how things were I guess. Did you feel that you know any different to your other friends who were probably doing other things and you had to maybe go home and do different things to to what they were doing they were out playing and you might not be able to how was it? You know I didn't um I think my mom always she kind of has a thing herself that she never kind of felt different you know she was very sort of stubborn in that um so I she would never want me to to feel different in that as well so actually it wouldn't be until I remember sometimes I'd say oh oh yeah my mum's blind you know I never used to really say it because it wasn't anything to say I thought but when I did say it you know I remember one time a friend of mine was like you know this is the this is back in sort of like the 90s I guess I'd left something at home it was a phone number that I needed and I remember my school friend saying well why don't you call your mom and ask her to read the phone number out to you and I was like oh she's not going to be able to do that because she she can't see and they were just like what and I was like oh she's blind and, and it, I, I had never said it before and so it's not until you see other people's reactions I, I remember my friend's reactions of like oh my gosh, you know, like your mum's blind and people really sort of felt like it was really sad or like a really big thing and that I I wasn't okay. And I was like, no, no, it's fine. You know, everything's fine. So I think at a young age, I I kind of hardly even realised that we were different, you know. That's good because in other words, you kind of grew up with it and to you, it was your norm. So therefore it didn't really kind of impact you and you obviously didn't feel the need to say, oh, I'm by the way. Yeah, yeah. Set you pucks. It was just your norm. So as you've got older, I know um, your mum's kind of, you know, been suffering a bit from other things. So tell us about that. Yeah. 
So my mum always, you know, struggled with depression. That's how we understood it as, as children. I do have an older brother and sister. They're 14 years older, so we didn't sort of grow up together. But we always knew that she was sort of depressed and, and quite manic in her behaviour. And um, it wasn't until I was about 14, she actually had a, a breakdown. She got sectioned. And then she was diagnosed properly with um, paranoid schizophrenia. And so that really was just a whole added layer on top of, you know, already sort of having to do more as a child. And I think that it was like a, it was like a blessing and a curse because it was, it was so nice that now I understand that she's medically not well, because before that, I just thought she was crazy. To be honest, I just thought, you know, what, what is this behaviour that I, that we have at home? It's, it's, it's outrageous behaviour, but Actually, when she was diagnosed and she went into hospital and she come out and she'd got help and medication, it was a little bit like, oh, okay, I can understand this a little bit more. So now I can, you know, it's an actual illness. But I think that on top of, um, you know, already having a disabled parent, that brings a lot of, because I think in society, we understand disability. This is how it felt like for me, like, we understand, you know, a blind person and, and people's reaction to a blind person is like, oh, they need help or are they OK? Or, oh, you know, it, it's very I think we're quite warm towards that. But mental health is a different thing. And there was a lot of sort of shame and embarrassment and guilt. And I, I hid it a lot. Like there was a lot of and, and I've only actually uncovered this in myself the last couple of years since I've been starting sort of on my own healing journey. It's very difficult as a child and as a young person to have a parent that is, is dealing with something and, and to be open about it with your friends and other young people because it's it's not the norm and it's not, I didn't think my friends would understand it. And actually looking back, I had great friends. They would have, they would have understood it, but I was just so embarrassed and so what that created in me was I have to hide this, hide my mum, you know, I've never had friends come round or, you know, if we were going to go into town on a Saturday, it was like so much fear that I might bump into someone or fear that she might, my mum might have a bit of an episode and she might be, I don't know, weird behaviour or shouting or something. So actually what it, what it created in me was, was a lot of embarrassment and I remember, you, you know, fast forward years later, I had an amazing mentor. She was a meditation teacher. I was probably about 22 at the time. And I used to go with my mum, actually. And my mum my got into meditation later on in life. And um, I was constantly apologising to the class every week. I was, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. Always apologising for my mum's behaviour. And one time she just pulled me aside, an amazing woman called Jan, and she was like, you have to stop apologising for your mum. You are not her. It's okay. You know? And I was just like, I didn't even realise I was doing it. I didn't realise I'd spent my life apologising. It's, it's, it's been a journey. We've come so far. It's interesting you say you were constantly apologising. So you were obviously all the way through aware that your mum was different to other mums you must have seen your friends mums like you know when at school you saw your mum's friends one way or another and you must have known that your mum was not like that and then did you find yourself kind of like retreating back into yourself as well yeah I, I 
I did know a lot of my friends' moms. I was always, you know, staying over and sleepovers and going out and stuff. And I, I always thought all oh, my friends' moms were so nice and normal. But actually, it's a funny thing in myself. And I guess I've, I've uh, as well, I've uncovered this later on in my life. I actually um, overcompensated. So I was, I was, you know, I really did well at school and I loved school and I was really outgoing. I was like, you know, really into sports and I've sort of overcompensated the, the opposite way. So my home life was terrible. So my outside of the house life was super amazing. And so no one would have ever known, you know, school wouldn't have flagged it up. Teachers wouldn't have known. There was, I wasn't really, there was not, not much bad behaviour or anything. I think I internalised it all so much, which obviously wasn't great for me. But on the outside, everyone would have thought, oh, what a lovely kid, you know, smiley, happy, really fun, great at school and everything. So it's actually a funny thing how a, a, a young child sort of internalises things and, and deals with things, isn't it? It is. And it appears to me that you've handled it actually pretty well but obviously you've harmed yourself by keeping it inside yeah but you outwardly the fact that you didn't kind of you know get into bad habits that you kind of you know wanted to just be this kind of good kid that everybody loves and nobody would look at you in any sort of in any way shape or form is um you know it's it's interesting the impact but obviously it had impact it has to doesn't it um I mean, I think it's a huge responsibility for any child of any age to have to look after a parent and alone, because it sounds like your your older brothers and sisters weren't really hands on. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. So they they were actually um, they lived quite close. And so did my dad as well. Um, But my sister had terrible mental health problems herself. So she was just very like just not able emotionally like not able to to be there to help me never mind help my mom you know neither of us she had her own problems and my brother was it was just I don't know I guess both of them have just never stepped forward you know it's always sort of I've always been the one and my dad was the same my dad wasn't really sort of he was there physically you know he lived in the area but he just wasn't it just didn't didn't ever step forward. Um, so yeah, I was I was very, very alone. And of course, as a child, you don't really know how to reach out and ask for help, do you? I didn't know how to do that. I didn't know that I could call up an auntie and, and say, you know, this is happening and I need some support. Like I I just and again there was the, that embarrassment was still there, even with close family, because my mum is actually quite close with a sister who's only a couple of years older, my auntie. And I, you know, I'm I'm very close to them as well. I I would have liked to think I could have picked up the phone and 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 say, you know, my mum needs help, I need help. But I think there was still an aspect of definitely like embarrassment, but also um an aspect of will people believe me? Because my mum's my behavior was so crazy when she was, you know, just before she got sectioned. And I just thought this is so outrageous and so out there the way she's behaving. Obviously, mental health can be so dark. I just thought, are people going to believe me if I say that? It sounds like, you know, something you see on a horror film or something. I don't think actually that people will believe, listen to me and believe what I'm saying. So that was definitely there as well. You say that she was your mum was close to her sister. I mean, did your mm-hmm. did your aunt at all ever kind of, you know, come round and see what was going on for herself or check that you were OK? 
not really now. So they they live. My mum's sister and and sort of my cousins. They live only about half an hour away. They live outside of Liverpool, not far. Um, but when you're a kid, it felt far. I felt like they weren't. You know, it, they didn't live in Liverpool, so it felt far. Um, but no, I I didn't express to them how bad things got. But they actually didn't really take a step forward as well. They didn't sort of show that support. So. It's only really later on in life that I look back and I think I really needed that extra support, even, you know, maybe from social services or um, school or, you know, all these sort of providers that should have been there that weren't. It just completely got missed for whatever reason. And me and my wife talk about it a lot. Like, I always would like to think, like, you know, if there was a a child or a neighbour or something that, we suspected that maybe needed a bit of help or extra support we could step in and we could say you know what's going on do do you need our help or whatever but I guess sometimes people just don't feel like it's their responsibility or they they, they feel a bit icky in Mm -hmm. taking that step forward yeah I think you're right and I think in as a culture in in the UK we're a little bit like we don't want to interfere we don't want to appear nosy you know all those things and we're always kind of reticent to 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 step in and just check so it's true it's a difficult line to walk and I can understand why perhaps you know some people didn't but so moving on your mother was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia I mean when did that start coming in for her um, now we understand that it was always there. <laughs> my my auntie, you know, my mum's sister, that close, um, she can think back when my mum was a child and there was a lot of really like odd behaviour that was there, a lot of weird stuff that happened. And But I guess, you know, it would have been the 50s. It, you know, we didn't know what schizophrenia was then. We didn't know about anything so it's again it's just got missed and it's just been you know brushed under the carpet and so what we understood as children and obviously my brother and sister they're 14 years older than me so they had it too she was the same with them all them years before but we only understood it as I guess depression there was a lot of suicide attempts from my mum you know when they were young and we just honestly the only way we I can explain it is we just thought she was mental we just thought that was who she was, that she had this personality. So, yeah, it's a funny thing, really, when we understood that actually she hears voices and, you know, they tell her to do things and this is a, an actual condition and she needs to go to hospital. And it was like, ah, OK, you know, it was like it just felt a little bit definitely scary because I think when when you when you think about someone who hears voices and obviously the, we understand the schizophrenia that the voices can they can be quite dark they can be telling you to do things or hurt yourself or hurt others and stuff it can be really scary and I think a lot of it was it did feel like a horror film it really did um but at the same time the support she got and you know the medication coming in felt like it just it saved her for a while, you know. It felt like that medication just, it definitely numbed her down. It took away her personality. It took away sort of any sort of joy. It took away, like, so it's quite hard. It, it just took away all of her personality. 
I started to forget that she used to laugh. And she used to, she, she used to smile. She just doesn't do that anymore. Um, so it's it's like we either have this we we either have the schizophrenia and the madness, or we have the the numbed down, you know, version. And I'm only just realizing now that the numbed down version is better. You know. Thank you for sharing that, because obviously that is hard for you still, and because she's still. She's still in that place, isn't she? She's still going yeah. through that. And, and also um, in the past a uh, couple of years, so during the pandemic, you know, things have not been, have kind of compounded it as well, haven't they? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And I think it's, um, we were just talking about this earlier, where we, the, I think, not, so now she sort of was resectioned a couple of years ago, two years ago, just before the pandemic, um, and and so was moved from hospital into a care home just because they needed space, you know, in the hospital beds and stuff. But that moving her into a care home, as she, I guess she kind of and they did say this to me, the carers, she will now start to mirror, you know, the people around her. So she, because she was only late late sixties in a care home, she's with people who were in the eighties. And so she's starting to mirror their behaviour and she's starting to think, well, they have help, you know, going to the toilet. So I need help going to the toilet. And it's just been a downward spiral. And and obviously a lot of the pandemic, we haven't been able to be there with her. Like when she first went in, I was really trying to keep her sort of inspired and upbeat and, you know, take her out sometimes and still make sure she's doing things and moving and, you know at the beginning she was still able to do some like exercise classes or meditation or they they paint with her and stuff but she's just not wanted to do that anymore you know all that's gone and obviously with the COVID as well people haven't been able to go in so people who were maybe doing sessions with them like exercise sessions or whatever that stopped too so she just slowly slowly just you know become less and less able that's really sad to hear, actually, because it does feel, um, I mean, obviously, everything's overloaded, the whole system's overloaded. Yeah. But in many ways, because I've heard other things, and then my own family's experience that when somebody has some form of illness, at a young age, say in their 60s, or yeah. early 70s, but it's usually thought to be something that older people get. These yeah, younger people who actually suffer because they're lumped in with much older people and there yeah. also isn't doesn't seem to be the help that's needed for people with that issue but at a younger age and I'm talking more about say Alzheimer's a lot of people who have it at a very young age like yeah. in their 50s and 60s they're thought of as being in their 80s and 90s because that's generally when people get it and there's little help available or little little consideration from the authorities that actually people at that age group need something different as your mum obviously has done and yeah. she hasn't had it by the sounds of it obviously circumstances during covid have kind of made it harder that's for sure but yeah. it's it's sad when you know she clearly needed other things and perhaps more more one to one things rather than just being lumped in with with groups of people much, much older than herself. How is your mum doing now? Yeah, she's okay. So now, obviously, there was a time, 
within COVID where I, I got really worried because we just weren't able to interact. And because she's blind, she she needs touch, you know, like whenever I talk to my mom, I usually put my hand on his shoulder and I I have to speak to her quite closely. You know, I, 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 I do use touch a lot. I always have with her. So because we couldn't touch her or reach out or whatever it is, I could just feel her. I was just so worried that she was going to, like lack that human interaction and there was a long time that we couldn't have that um, but obviously now we can and the care home have been amazing they've always they've let me really push it like there was when she got really bad I was like I have to take her out I, I have to take her out for the day or you know take her to see the grandchildren or something she needs she can't just sit in this care home because she's gonna go so crazy you know I know her personality she needs more and they were brilliant they were like you know because you know it was it's very difficult isn't it because we don't want to put anyone at risk and there's a lot of other elderly people in there we can't be putting them at risk as well but they were like okay they they really listened to me on what I I knew she needed so you know there was a lot of like me taking her out and um, you know, just taking her for a meal or doing something. And I noticed that she got much better. As soon as I started taking her out, she started being more interactive and talking more. And, you know, she just, her mood lifted a little bit. So it just goes to show how powerful that is, that human interaction. Um, but she, she's good now. She has good days and she has bad days. But I've started to recognise that when she has bad days, it's okay. She'll have good days again. Whereas before, when she had bad days, I thought, you know, I'd always think the worst. I'd think, oh, you know, this is it now. It's only going to be downhill. But actually, some days she's not very responsive. And the next time I see her, a week later, she's great. And she, you have a little bit of a chit chat. And, you know, so I think she's um, she's quite, she's settled in the care home. And I, I've sort of had to come to sort of a realisation that with, with schizophrenia, they, they don't know what causes it. And they don't know, there's no cure. There's, there's not even a, um, they don't even treat it. All they can do is medicate it. And so it's like, I've had to just sort of make make friends with that. You know, it is what it is. All we can do now is, um, you know, ha- have our time together, do do fun things and, and you know, share, share the time we have together now and just make sure that she knows that we're there for her and we love her and, you know, if if she needs us, we're right there, and I don't want her to feel lonely. I think that's the, that's one of my biggest things. I just really don't want her to feel alone, and she, and she won't because we, you know, I'm I'm there for her all the time. That's fabulous. I don't actually. I, I'm not sure we even said that your mother's only in her early seventies. So yeah, she just turned just turned seventy a couple oh. of weeks ago. Yeah. So you know, we didn't actually mention that because that's an important point. But what I love to hear is that you are able now to kind of make memories with your mum again and and for you because you're in a better place as well and therefore you can enjoy her and your time with her which I think is so special and so important yeah absolutely yeah we take it for granted don't we I think I definitely did for years so obviously I lived away for years I, I left home at 17 and I was away for a long time and I just took it for granted you do when you're young, though, don't you? You do when you're 20s. Yeah. Um, but now I'm like, every moment, every time I get to see her or every time I can take her out or even, you know, this Christmas we could be together the Christmas before. We couldn't see her. She was on her own in the care home. So I'm 
I, I fully know now the gratitude of, of being able to see her and spend time together. And it's, it's, um, it's priceless because it, it, it you know, we're, we're all going to go through losing our parents. It's, it's inevitable. So I'm just making the most of the time that we have. Absolutely. Are there any tips that you can offer people, perhaps, you know, in a similar situation to you dealing with a parent who is not only, well, I mean, you, your mother was blind as well, but I mean, definitely dealing with schizophrenia. If not growing up, somebody who might be listening to this, who's growing up with a parent suffering either of those situations or issues. Yeah, I think um, services so important like if, if you could if I as a child could have had you know someone to speak to about it or someone if I had a I don't know support group with other children that were you know the same thing or even a podcast to listen to like this it would have been so much help because I think it it helps to normalize things if I would have felt more normal or you know this is the other people have family like this as well it would have it would have helped so much um, to just not be alone, I think that's the main thing. So re- reaching out is definitely, um, a, you know, a, a big tip. Reaching out to support groups or you know wh- wherever you can, um, and and speaking about it as well. If, even if it's not, you know, speaking about it on a platform like social media, at least speaking to a friend. Like I never, I never spoke to a friend about it. Would have been amazing to have a friend there that. I would have, I could have just spoken it out with because people do understand. I think we, we think that they don't or we think that they're going to judge us or think, you know, differently of us. But people are very understanding. And I think now more so, you know, I'm talking about sort of the 90s and the early 2000s. But now people, we, we, we're more understanding when it comes to disabilities or mental health problems. And, you know, everyone knows someone who's who's been struggling or something. So just getting it off your chest and having a good chat and even, you know, having a good cry or a good laugh about it. You know, I, I do that a lot now. I, I, I'm married. I have an amazing wife that for the first time in my life, I can really express how I feel about all this. Whereas before that, I didn't express it at all. It was just all inside of me, you know. So I think it's just sharing as much as you can and knowing that you're not alone as well and reaching out for some support where you can as well. Absolutely. And that's the whole point of what's well, the point of this podcast, but it is a whole, the whole point about just get talking. Yeah. And anybody who does, I believe anybody who might judge you for talking, then they're not the right people for you. Yeah. And that's more the way to look at it rather than take it on board as a problem that you have. It's not your problem. They just can't handle it. And therefore yeah. you have to find somebody who can even just somebody to listen I guess they don't even have to say anything do they yeah absolutely yeah definitely Alex thank you so much it has been such an eye-opening conversation and thank you for all your advice and your kind of just opening us up to the world of how other people live yeah you're welcome yeah thank you so much for giving me a platform to help others as well thank you you're very welcome you take care you too bye bye thank you for listening and don't forget if you like this episode please head over to apple podcasts and leave me a five-star review it really helps see you next time